All right, Rabbi, so welcome to the brand new series. Very, very exciting. I'm personally very excited about this series. The uh, inspiration for this series actually came to me on the plane on the way to New York. And uh, I was thinking of various things that uh, I myself can work on and maybe I can help others as well. And this was one of them. It's an incredible idea. And I have a little bit of a selfish motive to give this series as well, if you don't mind. And that is, you know, I was on the plane and there was, was something really annoying me at the time when I was on the plane. And, and I'm thinking to myself, as I'm writing the shiurim, I'm like, hold on a minute, aren't I writing a series about, you know, self-growth and about making yourself better? And here I am getting upset. I better, like, you know, try to keep that which I preach about. So it, it's, it's an incredible, incredible series. I'm very, very excited about it. It's a series that I really believe that if a person takes it seriously and internalizes that which we are learning over here, it can literally shift his entire mindset, which can change his entire life, which will then improve many of the relationships he has throughout his lifetime. Okay, so there's a tremendous amount to be learned over here. Um, It also happens to be a great time to work on ourselves. We're holding right now Sfer Sa'ima. Sfer Sa'ima, as we know, Klal Yisrael were in the basic almost the lowest madriga, the lowest level of Tumah in Mitzrayim. And within seven weeks of coming out, all of a sudden, there they are at Har Sinai, you know, almost seeing the Shechina, hearing the Shechina, which is an incredible thing. Which means that there's a special Siyat of the Shemaya at these particular times for us to work on ourselves seven weeks before Kabbalah Satoya, seven habits to work on ourselves before we get there as well. So, let me give you a little bit of introduction into the series, and today's share is going to be a simple introduction into what we're doing and how we're doing it and how important it is in our lives. In the year 1989, there was a book written by Stephen Covey. Uh, The name of the book was The Seven Habits to Highly Successful People. Many of you have seen this book. When it originally came out, it immediately sold over 12 million copies. It is now holding by over 40 million copies worldwide. I actually picked up this book in Eichler's in Borough Park. I thought it was a nice Jewish book, and then I looked at it, hold on a second. I know this book. So it's a Gavaldiga book. And uh, it's interesting, why are we giving a Shea on a Goyesha book? It sounds very interesting. So the idea of the series is not necessarily to go through his mindset, but more to see if we can, see if we can get um, the Makoris from Chazal, from the Torah, of how the Torah looks at things, and see how some of them are very, very similar to that which he wrote. An extremely, extremely popular book. In fact, um, there's a, um, two things that I specifically... I had an old one of this book, but uh, this, specifically this book has uh, some of his children writing about what was it like to grow up in the house, and they called it the house of the seven habits. What was it like to grow up in such a house? And they talk in an incredible way how he really lived that which he taught. And that's a, that's a very important thing because some of us are familiar, and maybe we'll mention in a minute, of other books that are written by other people who don't necessarily keep that which they wrote and preached about. Whereas Stephen Covey, his kids clearly wrote what it was like to be in his house. It was incredible. He practiced. Everything in this book was amazing. And the other thing is also, um, this, the foreword over here is written by Jim Collins. I'm not familiar with Jim Collins, but um, interesting that uh, they talk about, they asked him, they asked Stephen Covey, how exactly did you come up with these seven habits? Like, where, where did you get this from? And he said that, that this is not something that I, you know, just, not, no chidushim particularly. These are things that most people know, and they're not specific to any religion, he writes. But, however, these are things that I put in, in a very simple way, in a methodical way of learning, that a person can really, if they put together in the right way, and a person can work on them in a real way. So, 
he claims that a lot of this is common sense and he just found a good way basically to articulate, articulate them and organize them in a way that can be understood from everyone. Now, in the introduction to the book, and a lot of today's um, share is going to be based on his introduction, there's a lot of liter- literature that he writes about self-growth. And the purpose of what we're doing is to take that which he wrote, like I said, and bring the sources in the Torah and Chazal and see how they can be very, very similar. Now, why Stephen Covey? Many of you are familiar with different books. There are many, many books out there, self-help books, improvement books, character books. Why specifically this book? Okay, so it's an interesting question. So, in the introduction, he writes as follows. He writes that the whole concept of people looking at themselves, bettering themselves, bettering relationships, uh, working on work environments and all these things uh, have been very, very popular over many, many years. But what's important to us is it's not how we relate to people, but it's really, it's not about the success, but it's really about how to change within ourselves, which will in turn improve many of our relationships. And I'll explain. He writes in his introduction that in the last approximately 200 years, most of the self-health and self-growth literature has shifted to what he terms as from character ethic to personality ethic. And, and again, let me explain. Character ethic means and is defined as who I am. What's going on inside me. Who I am as a person. My integrity, my honesty, my patience, everything that goes on inside me, that's what he calls character ethic. And then there's something called a personality ethic. A personality ethic is basically a shortcut. It's basically how, how do I influence someone to get what I want to get. How do I say it in a right way that I can get what I need to get to to get the results? That is what he called the personality ethic. In other words, it's not about my character. It's not about who I am on the inside, but it's about how my personality is portrayed by other people. Now, again, not about me. It's about how I come across. For example, uh, Dale Carnegie. Famous book. Famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Many people have read it, I'm sure. And if you go through that book, there is a very, very serious difference between that book and this book. And that is, in his book, he writes clearly that it's very little to do with your character, ethic. But it's more to do with the personality ethic. Right? It's a very you know, egocentric book. It's all about improving communication. How do you figure out what to say? To get what you want. To get your way. Right? That's what it is. It's not about building yourself. It's not about building a human character. It's about how can I effectively improve the way I speak, the way I act, the way I... Everything in order and so that I can get what I want. Now, that's a very selfish way of improving yourself. It's not even improving yourself at all. In fact, you remain the same person. Now, I'm not saying... That technique is not important. Technique is very, very important. It's important to learn how to communicate with people. It's important to learn how to improve your personality. But that's secondary. Only if a person has the foundation of his character, when he's worked on his character ethic, only then, when you've improved yourself and you worked on the inside, can you then deal with everything else. When a person deals with his ego, when a person deals with the acceptance of other people, making space for other people, all these things, only then can you go on to the personality ethic and improve the technique of how you deal with other people. In other words, 
only once a person has actually built himself up from the inside and becomes a better person in a real way, more patient, honest with himself, allowing space for other people, then he can use that in a way to articulate it to others and basically work on his personality ethic. But if you use the shortcut and if you forget what's going on inside you and you have no, you have no want to try and improve what's really going on inside you, in other words, I just want to get what I want. <laughs> I want to get the job. I want to get the relationship. I want to get the respect. I want to get everything I want. So how do I do it? What do I have to say? What, what's, give, me the, give me the shortcut. What's the easy way? It becomes very outside, becomes very external. And uh, it doesn't bring internal peace of mind. You do not become a better person. And often you might actually have success. Which means you might get what you want. You might achieve the results that you're looking for. But ultimately, you remain the same selfish person on the inside. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to work from the inside out, as he calls it. And we're here to build the character from the inside Another thing, by the way, to bear in mind, that if a person works only on his personality ethic, it doesn't work from the character ethic, who he is, then it's coming from a very external place, and that's very manipulative. You're being a manipulative person, trying to manipulate your way to get what you want. And the proof of that, by the way, is what happens if a person does not get what they want? How do we know when a person really has worked on himself, or it's just coming from the external? What happens if he does not get his way? all of a sudden he can't cope. He can't cope. He breaks down because I didn't get what I want. The result was to get what I wanted and I didn't get it. And therefore he breaks down. He gets angry. He gets upset. He gets frustrated. He gets anxious. All sorts of things starts happening over there. Now, by the way, this is true for all types of relationships. This is true for marriage. This is true for relationship with your children. This is true for relationship at work. In many of the... Of, you know, we know we're not living in a bubble. We live amongst other people. And we have to learn how to deal with other people, how to work with other people in a good way. Again, in a marriage, in a family setting, in a work setting, whatever it may be. I'll give you two examples. Take children. Imagine a guy goes to a parenting course. Goes to a parenting course on how to be a good parent. And he sits there with his notepad and he writes down, this is what happens. You do this and this reaction and teenagers and little kids and older kids. He's got it all down, all sorted. What happens if one day his child goes completely crazy? He goes completely crazy. He says to himself, you know what? Stuff all these lessons that I learned in, 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 the, in the group, in the therapy class, in the class, whatever it was of parenting. This kid needs a good whack. And that's what he does. You know what that means? That means that really he didn't realize it's all about working on himself to become a better person. And through that, he can influence other people and help other people. But really, it's about getting my way. And if I don't get my way, then everything has to change. And marriage is the same thing. Right? person goes to Shalom Bias classes. person goes to marriage classes. Whatever it may be. Wonderful. All beautiful. All wonderful. Right? He writes everything down. He's got it all in his head. I know what to do. Every scenario. Every situation. I can figure it all out. Right? And then all of a sudden, the situation comes out. She doesn't respect you. She doesn't listen to you. Whatever it is. The whole thing falls apart. He goes crazy. I can't cope. Because he didn't get the result. It's not about the result. It's about working on yourself. Without realizing that you have to work on yourself as a person, you'll never get anywhere. Now, ultimately, when you work on yourself, then when you work on your, as we'll explain, when you work on the inside, that automatically will reflect on the outside, your personality ethic, which often will give you the results that you want. But it's coming from a real place. It's coming from a place that you've worked on in a real way. And the same thing applies at work, and the same thing applies in many other situations. Another example is sometimes, often, the perspective we have in life needs to be shifted. 
And that's what often what we're doing over here. We have a certain perspective in life. We grew up in a certain environment, maybe in a certain family, in a certain school setting, in a certain situation. And that has been our perspective. Sometimes we need to shift that. And sometimes it can be something that shifts all day. I'll give you an example that Stephen Covey himself brings. Incredible, incredible example. He talks about once he was on the subway in New York City. And he's sitting on the subway and minding his own business, reading a newspaper, whatever it may be. And it's peaceful and it's quiet. Everyone's minding their own business and everything's wonderful. In walks a father and a bunch of loud children. Wild kids. The father slumps himself down next to Stephen Covey, puts his head down and falls immediately asleep. The kids are running wild all over the place. Nobody's able to concentrate. The kids are mum is climbing up the rungs. It's, it's unbelievable. And everyone's looking at this father like, hello, <laughs> could you please like, control your children? You know, it's like on the plane, you're on the plane and you hear that, you know, children were up and down, up and down. The parents are sitting there sleeping and everything's fine. Everyone else is suffering. Everyone's looking at it. And Stephen Covey's talking about this. He says, I was on the train. I'm sitting next to the guy. He's falling asleep. His kids are running wild. Hello. So after a few minutes, I couldn't cope. Everyone was going crazy. The whole, the whole train, the whole carriage was going crazy. So I, I prod the guy and I say, excuse me, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry to bother you, but would you mind taking care of your kids? Could you just like control them for a few minutes, please? They're being really loud. They're annoying everyone. And the guy looks up and says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. You're 100% right. I really, really should. Uh, we just came from the hospital, and a few hours ago, their mother died. So I guess they don't know how to deal with it, but you're right, I'll, 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 I'll control them. And Stephen Covey says, whoa, suddenly my entire perspective changed. Like, you know, it's okay. They could be wild. That's fine. They, they're okay for that. In other words, and he writes this as an example in his introduction to say that sometimes we look at life in a certain way, shift it. And all of a sudden, everything can change. And it's a very, very important thing. Klal Yisrael were in the Midbar. And they were told to build a Mishkan. And there are tremendous pieces of the Mishkan that the Torah describes in great length exactly how to build. And it's very interesting. One of the pieces that they were told to build was the Oren. The Oren, as we know, was the house for the Luchais. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was told by the Rabbanu Shem how to build it. How was it built? Three boxes. One inside the other. The most outer box was pure gold. The box on the inside, the inner box, the middle box, was made of wood. And the box further in was made again of gold. So you've got gold, wood, and then gold again. Now, what is the purpose of having wood as one of the uh, layers of the orange? You can't even see it. What was the purpose? You've got gold on the outside, gold on the inside, and somewhere sandwiched in between is wood. What was the purpose of the Rabbani Shalom telling Moshe Rabbeinu to have a layer of wood in the middle that you can't even see? And the Mavarshim explained in the following way. That the Mishkan, as we know, famously, is a representation of ourselves. How do we know that? Because the Torah says, V'osali mikdosh v'shechanti b'seichom. Why is it b'seichom and not b'seichoi in it? What's b'seichom in the plural in them? The answer is, Chazal tell us, in Klal Yisrael. Each and every one of us are our own Mishkon, our own Mikdash Ma'at, and the Rabbanu dwells and he puts our Shechina in us if we are Roy. The Oren is no exception. There are three layers to a human being, as we're going to explain. Now let's just explain the difference between gold and wood. What is gold? Gold is something that looks very shiny, very glittery, very fancy. But it's also very solid. It's stone. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't move. Right? To cut it, you need something very, very hard. It's something that stays the way it is. You can leave it there for many, many years. And it remains the same piece of gold. Wood, on the other hand, is very different. Wood is something very, very different. Wood can go in either direction. Wood could be something that grows. And wood could be something that gets rotten. 
It all depends how you nurture it. It all depends what you do with it. It could decompose and go into a moldy piece of wood, or it could be something that grows and produces trees and produces beautiful fruit. Right? That's, that's what wood basically is. Now, let's, go, let's talk about the person. There are three layers to a human being. There's the most inner layer of a human being, which is the deepest part of every human being. That's the identity of a human being, and that's the neshama. That's the soul. That is the part that we're basically not even aware of. We don't know where it is. We don't see it. We don't feel it. But it's there. We know it's there. And it's the foundation of who we are. Everything is built on that. It's totally unconscious. We don't, we're not recognizing it. We're not conscious of it on a daily basis. That's the most inner layer of a human being. The second layer of a human being is the conscious part of the soul. How we feel. How we react. How we think. Our minds. Our, instinct, our instincts. Things that we're conscious of the whole time. Things that we can change. And then we have the third part, which is basically on the outside, how we interact. How we communicate. How we portray ourselves. How we act. Now the core essence of a human being is totally pure. Right? Every, every single person possesses this. The Sifra Kabbalah call it Yechida. Every single person has this chalik of the Rabbi Shalom, a chalik of the Neshama, which comes from the Kisei HaKovoid. It's the Makar, by the way, for Tshuva. It's unchangeable. It remains pure. The Neshama that you have, right? It is Tahar. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever you look at, whatever you say, however far you go, that Neshama is always pure. And that's the Makar for Tshuva. However far you go, you can always come back. Because that neshama, the core of the essence of who you are, is always going to be pure. It's totally unchangeable. Right? That's that. That's that. And then you have the conscious part of the mind. How we feel as a person. How we act. How we respond to many things that we do. Right? Many of us are conscious of the emotions that we have. Perspective that we give things. It's the most complicated part of the human being. It's the hardest one to deal with. It's the hardest one to really get a hold because it's constantly changing and this is who we are. How we portray ourselves to others, how we perceive ourselves, that's the second layer of a human being. The third layer of a human being is behavior. It can be difficult, but it can be copable, it can be manageable. The orin is a replica of ourselves. It represents us. That means the most inner layer of the orange was gold. Pure. 100% pure. A rock. You can't move it. You can't change it. It is what it is. That's our neshama. That's the most inner layer. The second layer is wood. The second layer is wood, which means either it grows and could become a beautiful tree that produces beautiful fruit, or it could become rotten and can become moldy and it could become disgusting and in decay. That's, that's the most dangerous layer. And the Torah tells us that the second layer is not visible to others. Nobody can see what goes on on the inside of who you are, how you react, and what you're thinking. And the third layer is gold, because that's visible. It's very glittery, it's very shiny on the outside. Our deeds often are very glittery, are very shiny, look very nice on the outside to an external perspective. And therefore the Torah is telling us an incredible thing. Listen to this. The Torah is telling us, don't think... That you can deal with your outer layer. You can work on the outer layer of yourself. All the glittery, all the shininess of the gold. And you deal with your personality. And you deal with your technique. That's a superficially shining. That's not good enough. It looks nice on the outside world. Because if you make only the outer layer perfect. Yes, it may shine to the outside world. But beneath 
that glittery layer of the gold of the orange is rotting wood that's going on inside you. The layer that nobody can see and nobody knows what's going on. And if you have that going on inside, your orange is possible because all three layers of the orange have to be kosher. That's what it represents. The wood represents what's going on inside, what we don't see. Not the actions on the outside that everyone sees, but what goes on inside our reactions. Exactly what the seven habits are going to go through, Be'ez HaShem. And that is what is going to be the source of growth. If we take the inside and we work on the wood layer of the Oron, of ourselves, and we nurture it, we make it better, it can produce beautiful trees. And then our outer layer, the third layer that can be beautifully glittery, will be perfect. And it will be a kosher Oron. But if we work only on the outside, superficial, and how we deal with people, how we communicate, what we say, how people perceive us, so then it's all fake, and on the inside it's rotting, and that's Apostle Oren. The Kliyoka says in Parsha Shmini, when he talks about the animals that are Tohor and that are Tomei, and famously the Kliyoka discusses the Chazir, the pig, and he says, what does it mean that you have an animal that on the outside looks kosher? Beautiful, I'm kosher, the split hooves, everything's wonderful, but on the inside, it's treif. Says the Kliyoka, that's the worst type of person. Of a person that on the outside looks good, he's doing all the chesed, he's doing everything for everybody else, but on the inside, he's a rotting person. And that is what we are doing here today. And here we're working not only on our techniques, which again are important, and we'll get to that. We'll see how the seven habits reflect that. But we're working on the inside. We're going to work on who we are, how we react, and how we behave. Let me give you what Stephen Covey discusses, three very important stages in human uh, development. The three stages are as follows, and it's very, very important to understand this before we move on to the seven habits. You've got number one, which he calls dependence. Dependence, you know, let's just describe it like a baby. What is a baby? A young baby, a baby that's born, is totally dependent on its parents, has nothing of its own. It can't eat by itself, can't walk by itself, can barely go to sleep by itself. It's a baby. And a baby is totally relying on its parents. That's called dependence. Completely helpless. Then you have something called independence. Kids move on to that stage. You ever saw a child fighting to try and press the button on the elevator? No, it's my turn. And you did it last time. It's my turn. Like you think to yourself, like seriously, it's a it's it's a button on the elevator. Like come on, so, all right. It's nothing nothing excited about. The kids have a very no. I want to do it. Independence means that a child, normally the age of two or three, moves to this le- le- level, moves to this character development, human development, that they want to do everything myself. No, I want to get dressed by myself. No, I don't need your help. Okay, normally around the two three age. And then you have a very important stage, which he calls interdependence. Interdependence means to learn to react and uh, interact with other people. Now, let's explain them on a very, very practical level. In character building of a human being, we also have these three steps. And let's explain them for us on a very practical level. Dependence. Dependence, basically, some people depend only on themselves. No responsibility. Nothing is ever their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's not me. It wasn't to do with me. It was to do with the weather. It was to do with my boss. It was my parent. It was my ninth grade Rebbe. It wasn't me. This called is dependent, right? In other words, every, everyone else is the problem except for me. <laughs> I'm never to blame. Like the guy that goes out with 64 girls and every single one seems to have a problem. I think you might have to realize at some point that it might be you. Okay, that's called dependent. 
Right? Now, a person realizes that you can't live this way. <laughs> There's no way that you can have any normal relationship with anyone if you're going to live this way. So you can't live your life going to be dependent. So what's supposed to happen now? So you have two choices, you have two stages. You've got independence and interdependence. Now, it's very hard to deal with your insight. Very hard. Very hard to deal with who you are as a human being. That's the wood level. Very hard. So what most people do is they skip from independence straight to interdependence. Which means, instead of basically blaming everyone else, right, they move right into technique. They don't want to work on themselves. That's very hard. So instead of working on themselves, they skip that level, and they go straight to interdependent, which basically means, what is my technique? What can I do to make this work? What can, how can I interact with others that will make it happen? Forget about who I am as a person, right? Now, a person has to become independent, meaning they have to realize that they have to define themselves, they have to reinvent themselves, they have to realize how people perceive them, how they perceive themselves, focus on who they are, what type of person, purpose, person they are, how angry they get, are they happy, are they not happy, are they haughty, are they jealous, all of these things. Only when a person works on themselves and improves who they are on the inside... Only then can they graduate to interdependence. And it's very important not to skip that stage. A lot of people do, and they suffer terribly from it. Only once a person has the character ethics can he move on to personality ethics and apply that which he is on the inside to the outer layer of technique, which is important, and you'll be able to do that successfully. You'll have successful marriage, you'll have successful relationship with your children, you have a sexual relationship with your boss, with anyone else that you know, because you've worked on who you are and only then worked on your technique. And it's very important to get to interdependence, right? You can't spend your whole life on yourself. You can't spend your whole life on number two either. You've got to learn to eventually graduate to interdependent in order to learn of that which you know and deal with it with other people as well. I want to show you how this is so true. There's a mission in Pirkei The mission in the beginning of Perik Beis. What is the right way that a person should pick? Something that's a benefit for him and also earns him praise of everyone else. That means the missioner is telling us it's important to do things that gain praise from other people. Doesn't mean you do everything so that you get praise. No. Right? But it can't be the opposite either. A person can't live his life saying, I don't care what other people think of me, I do whatever I want. No. And the mission is telling us that a person should care what other people say. That is the derech yeshorah, the straight way. Rebbe in this Mishnah is telling us this secret. And that is that you need to do things that people praise you. But Rebbe is telling us the seder. What's the order that the Mishnah says? That first you do things that benefit you as a person and only then and eventually it leads to people praising you. And it's exactly what we're saying here. First you work on yourself as a person, and only then you graduate to be able to relate it and the technique you do to others. And it's interesting to know that not only does the Mishnah say that, but that is how the seven habits are actually set up. The first, second, and third habit are very much working on your inner self. The habit number four, five, and six then work on how you relate to other people. You're taking what you've learned on the inside and you're relating it to others. And habit number seven is basically putting them together. Okay, so we're going to end now, but I just want to end with going through the seven habits just to give you a little bit of a summary to what Be'ez HaShem will be doing in the coming weeks. The first habit, responsibility and being what he calls proactive. 
perspective about internal choices, one of the most incredible foundation for any human building. Unbelievable. Number two is goals, which he calls begin with the end in mind. Number three is priorities and developing a sense of direction, also very important. Number four, he calls win-win. We'll explain. Number five, seek to understand and then be understood. Number six is cooperation. And number seven, which he calls sharpening the sword, internalizing everything we've learned and maintaining it as well. So Be'ez HaShem, the Rabbani Shem, should give us a lot of Siyat HaDashmaya, that we should understand this, that we should go for this, and Be'ez HaShemaya, the Rabbani Shem, will give us the strength, the courage to be able to do this, and Be'ez HaShem, Be'ez HaShem, all of our relationships and our entire lives will be improved because of this. All right, Shukar Rabbani, thank you for coming.